1: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, November the 2nd, 2023, in the year of our Lord. On November 2nd, 1976, former Georgia Governor Jimmy Carter, he became the first candidate from the Deep South since the Civil War to be elected president as he defeated incumbent Gerald Ford. Today in 1783, General George Washington issued his farewell address to the Army near Princeton. New Jersey. It was from the heart. It's an excellent, excellent speech. Actually, he well, he gave a speech, but he also wrote a letter that is, has become part of the record today, saying pretty much what he said to the troops uh, today in 1861. Today in 2003, in Iraq, insurgents shot down a Chinook, a Chinook helicopter carrying about, carried dozens of U.S. soldiers, about 16 were killed. I think a movie was made about that incident. Today in 2004, President George Bush, George W. Bush, was elected to a second term. Today in 2018, the Trump administration restored U.S. sanctions on Iran. Uh, They had been lifted under the 2015 Obama nuclear deal. Today in 2022, the two largest U.S. pharmacy chains, CVS Health and Walgreens, announced that, an agreement to pay, in principle, about $5 billion each to settle lawsuits nationwide over the toll of opioids. We live in a world of drugs today. Some of them can be used for good, some for evil, but lots of drugs in the culture today. Well, a Hamas terrorist has agreed to participate in a conversation with an Israeli intelligence person, and they put out part of that conversation today in the news. Several news sources are carrying it. But that basically is a Hamas terrorist who reportedly participated in the attack on Israel last month, recently revealed, it was I think it was yesterday or day before, in an interrogation with Israeli intelligence, the depraved depths they plunged to that day. The video shows Hamas uh, terrorists, the video was released uh, yesterday, but the video shows Hamas terrorists, um, and I can't pronounce his name, I'm not going to try to, but anyway, the agents uh, that they were, uh, he's telling the agents that they were ordered to kill every person, then circle back around just to make sure they were dead. He says on the video, quote, the mission was simply to kill. We weren't supposed to kidnap, just kill. To kill every person we see, come back to be sure they're dead. Those are his words. We live in amazing times. That is what terrorism is really all about. A man in London has been arrested after posting a video on social media complaining about Palestinian flags being flown in his neighborhood and questioning why the government has allowed migrants, illegal migrants, I think he's talking about, into the country. In yet another demonstration of the lack of freedom of speech in in Europe, and in particular the United Kingdom, this man was arrested after merely questioning the government's immigration policies while he was videoing the Palestinian flags flying around lampposts and storefronts and everything else in London's uh, Bethnal Green area. So you, you know, you and you say, well, that's Europe. That's boy, that's across the ocean. That doesn't affect us. But it, it seems like the the issues are always rolling toward the toward the West, out of out of uh, Europe. And what you see happening, particularly in the United Kingdom, in in uh, England, what you see happening there. Is often a foretaste of what's going to be happening here at some future time. So that's why we pay attention to what's happening there. I do uh, a great deal. I don't talk about it a lot on the program, but from time to time we mention it. But I pay attention to it because it is often what you see there with the spiritual decline in, in England uh, as it started to become very noticeable. People were growing cold in their relationships and relationship with the Lord and so on. And the churches were starting to fail and one thing, another. And there were people then back some years ago, uh, wiser people than uh, some of us young guys, uh, they were saying, watch out. This is, this will come to America. And, and it, it did to in great degree, not to the degree that it did in Europe, but to a great degree, unfortunately. But God is faithful God is in control. Jesus never fails. Remember that old song we used to sing in church a long time ago? Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. I grew up with those. I was sitting on the pew listening to them. Usually I was wanting to get out and play baseball or something as a little kid, but somehow those tunes, those hymns, and little gospel choruses, found a way into my heart, and here I am now, over 40 years old, and I can still remember them. I think many of you can as well. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 12, he said, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water, out of the wells of salvation. Amen. Yesterday, the Associated Press published a feature article. It was a pretty big deal, lots of big pictures and a long article. The title of the article was, Do Guns Belong in Church?, They said the article was designed to spark a conversation. The news media always says that when they're pushing a leftist agenda. They always say, we're trying to spark a conversation. They're not really trying to spark a conversation. They're trying to get people talking about it, then get one side of of the conversation irate and upset, and then they create a conflict. And in that conflict, they can push forward a leftist agenda. And I'll come back to that today in a few moments. Saul Alinsky taught people how to do that, and some have learned how to do it very well. Associated Press says the time has come for the Reverend Jimmy Hardaway Jr. to preach the lessons embodied by the Prince of Peace. If only the world outside Trinity Baptist stained glass windows were a more peaceful one. Alas, it is not, Associated Press says. They continue, so when Hardaway raises, rises to the pulpit this Sunday morning, weeks after a 24-year-old man was shot to death in the streets two blocks from the chapel and days after a mass shooting claimed six lives at a church-run school, he carries a 38 caliber semi-automatic pistol concealed in his pinstripe folds of his suit. The title, part of the title includes Amendment versus Commandment. In other words, they're setting up a false situation. They're saying, you have to choose. Are you going to choose the Second Amendment, or are you going to choose God's commandment, which they tweak and bend to say you should not have a gun because you should not defend yourself because that leads to crime. Guns create crime, which they don't. People that carry guns do, but they also create crime, They create chaos. They break God's Ten Commandments by killing people with knives, machete, and so on. Guns are not the problem. People and sin is the problem. And we will never solve the problem we have with many, many, too many people being killed in America until we come to the simple truth and turn the light on and not run from this by saying, well, if we can just get rid of guns. There's countries that have gotten rid of guns and people are still getting killed. But the 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 uh, newspaper is setting up a false, a false dilemma here. It's a false situation. So they're saying that, suggesting by virtue of the way they word their article, that you can choose the Second Amendment, or you can choose the commandments of God. That's false. You don't have to choose between those two. They're not mutually exclusive. A number of articles have been published recently exploring the various reasons that America is so deeply divided. This story, is, I I felt at least, is one example, in my opinion, of how the press works to create and perpetuate the cultural division that we have in our country, and it is deep. They do so by declaring a contest between pastors over whether they should embrace God or Caesar in regard to safety in their church, and that is a growing problem. I mean, pastors and churches and church boards and elders and so on are talking about this, and they should, in my opinion. There's a lot of tension. Pastor Hardaway tells AP, he said, I'm not really free if I have to sit here, the pastor... He said, I'm not really free if I have to sit here and worry about threats to a congregation. He's one of several religious leaders who sued New York uh, officials last fall after lawmakers restricted guns in houses of worship. You may remember that. I mentioned it at the time. I wasn't aware that of that, uh, the names of the pastors and so on, but he was one of them, this guy. And so, uh, anyway, he notes the similarities between Trinity's worshipers, his church, and those of a historic black church in Charleston, South Carolina. I think most of us remember that. That was where a mass shooter killed nine people in 2015 in a Bible study. The pastor said, I'm not really free if I know that there's someone who can do harm and I can't do anything to protect them. He struggles with one of the state's highest rates of violent crime in his city. AP says, they say the decision that Hardaway made is a distinctly American one. And it spotlights rising friction between the assertion of two very American principles, the right to worship and the right to own guns with us deaths by gunfire reaching record levels. It is far from an isolated instance of that tension. Again, they're setting up a false dilemma. It, it, they're not being honest with this story, and they know that. I'm sure the writer of, with AP knows this. What They know what they're doing. At the same hour, they continue with this feature story. At the same hour, about 90 miles away, the Reverend Stephen Caddy and his flock at Asbury First United Methodist Church in Rochester, New York, also sought sanctuary. They continue, and in a country where many faith leaders say the jobs now require them to drop plans for responding to a mass shooter on their premises, Caddy has reached the diametrically opposite conclusion, the conflict. His church, in a city where 63 people were killed in shootings last year, presides over a leafy neighborhood of carefully kept homes, largely bypassed by the violence. But for a congregation unsettled by the increase in mass shootings and the deaths across town that garnered far less attention, the way forward would only be darkened by adding even more guns, says Pastor Caddy. Let us pause for a moment together, just outside the violence of the week ahead, that that we might at least acknowledge the violence of the week that we have just left behind. And he says in one of his sermons, according to a- AP, he tells his worshipers of the dread he felt learning that one of those slain in the Tennessee mass shootings was a nine-year-old daughter of the church's pastor. That's true. It was here. We stand, he said outside the gate longing for nothing more than to get that new life on the other side. He says, yet hell seems to have found us. Two men, Associated Press says, two men, brothers in Christ, but unknown to one another, each determined to exercise their American right to pray without interference. To one, the right to bear arms and the proliferation of 400 million guns and thousands of shootings it has enabled, undermines the freedom to worship in peace. To the other, The right to carry a gun is an essential means of protecting fragile religious liberty. So which will you choose? End of quote. Which will you choose? A gun or the Bible? But you don't have to make that choice. They know that. But they set this up in the minds of people, and millions of people will read this article. I'm talking about it today on the radio. Associated Press concludes its long and well-thought-out biased article with this. The world we are in now, you always have to be on guard, says Tameka Phelps. She's a church trustee who also is licensed to carry. She does not bring her gun into church, but is reassured knowing the pastor is armed. You always have to wonder, who is that person coming into the building? she says. Coming into church, you should not have to feel like that, but you do. That can be hard to reconcile with the sense of peace that fills Trinity on this Sunday. The light of the crystalline sky streams through the stained glass. Worshippers, some holding children on their laps, lift up their voices in song. Sundays should be reserved for giving praise, says the pastor's wife. Now they're bringing the pastor's wife into this, The pastor's wife, Karen Anderson Hardaway, whose voice entwines with her husband's in the call and response of worship. The decision to carry a concealed weapon is intended to keep it it that way. Still, Anderson Hardaway says she understands how others seeking to preserve sanctuary fervently disagree. Remember, her husband is the one who carries a 38 caliber pistol when he's preaching. just in case. So they have gotten to her. She has a different view and they're making sure that they tell their reading public that the husband and wife don't agree on this. Still, Anderson Hardaway says she understands how others seeking to preserve sanctuary fervently disagree. In a country where the average day sees more than 130 people killed with a gun, will the right to worship in peace be insulated from violence with one Or without one they quote the pastor's wife she said there is no right answer that's pretty much where this ends and it's exactly where AP wanted it to end a lot of Christians biblical Christians believe strongly in the Second Amendment I do I'm an ordained minister been a pastor long time lifetime in the ministry but they want to leave leave the impression that there is a profound divide in the church as well and in doing so they can help create a divide and that's what leads me to one I wanted to point out this article as being a, an example a current example published yesterday to what is behind all of this the basis for this kind of behavior. I believe both pastors are trying to do the right thing. I also believe the Associated Press is seizing the opportunity to create divisions, not solutions. The left never tries to find solutions. They just try to keep moving what they call forward. They always try to keep moving forward. They call it progress. The history of Publishing in recent years has always been toward the left. Always. Especially in regard to religious freedom and the Second Amendment. That is a big deal to the left. They see that. They see the church. They see Christianity as the biggest speed bump, the greatest barrier to breaking through with the kind of society that they envision, which is hellish in its roots. I believe this article in Associated Press was published not primarily to inform but to persuade and to even divide the people who read it. Saul Alinsky's teaching is the basis for the left's tactics. I want to spend a few minutes talking about that today. Saul Alinsky learned how to conquer or divide and conquer. Barack Obama used his ideas to a great degree. In fact, Barack Obama taught the fundamentals of his ideology, Saul Alinsky. He taught them in a class at Harvard. I don't know if he was actually listed as a professor, but he taught there, maybe as an instructor. But he taught there, and he taught these principles. Hillary Clinton wrote her thesis on his work. In fact, Saul tried to get her to come to work for him. Saul Alinsky was based in Chicago. He died in 1972. And at the time, just prior to to when he passed away, he was trying to get her to come to work. And she wrote about it in one of her books about herself. And she said she considered it very seriously because she had such great respect for Saul Alinsky. But many people in America have not heard of Saul Alinsky. They don't know about his 1971 book, the last book he published. He died in 72. The title of the book is Rules for Radicals. It's a basic philosophy that gives power to certain specific people groups. The book gives you or gives the reader an outline of that. And let me tell you about who the book, to whom the book is dedicated before we go through, uh, as time allows, go through 13 of the Rules for Radicals. I'll try to touch on each one of them. But on the fourth flyleaf page of the book, Rules for Radicals, after a dedication to Alinsky's wife Irene and quotes from Rabbi Hillel. And Thomas Paine is the following text. This is what it says in the book, in the in the part of the book where they are they are dedicating the book to those who helped and inspired Saul Alinsky to write this. Here's what he said after dedication to his wife and to Rabbi Hillel and to Thomas Paine. He said, Quote, Lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical, from all our legends, mythology, and history, and who is to know where mythology leaves off and history begins, or which is which, the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did so so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, dedicated to Lucifer. This kind of philosophy and ideology is satanic, it is demonic, dedication to his wife, to a rabbi, to Thomas Paine, and to Lucifer. Here's the 13 rules that make up the context of the book. Let me go through these with you. Number one, power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. Power is derived from two main sources, money and people. Have-nots must not build power from flesh and blood, but conflict. Number two. Never go outside the expertise of your people. The result is confusion, fear, and retreat. Number three. Whenever possible, go outside the expertise of your enemy. Here you want to cause confusion, fear, and retreat. Number four. Make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. You could kill them with this for they can no uh, more obey their own rules than the Christian church can live up to Christianity. Well, this is ba- basically, this number four is directed at Christians. We Christians say we believe, holiness Christians particularly, we believe in a set of morals that are taught by the Bible, and yet we are miserably sinful people who err and sin. We make mistakes and we ask God to forgive us. They leave that part out, but they point out how we advocate a, a, a gospel of righteousness, and yet look at, look at the failures in his life, whomever that prof- professes publicly to be a Christian. They're talking about that in this. Number four, he's talking about exploiting that vulnerability of Christians. That's what he's talking about. And, and there's much more. These are just the, the kind of the head of each chapter. Number five, ridicule is man's most potent uh, weapon. It is almost impossible to counterattack ridicule. Also, it infuriates the opposition who then react to your advantage. In other words, make the people mad and they'll do and say things they didn't mean to do and say. That's to your advantage. Number six, a good tactic is one your people enjoy. If your people are not having a ball doing it, there is something very wrong with the tactic. A tactic that drags on too long becomes a drag. Man can sustain militant interest in any issue for only a limited time, after which it becomes a ritualistic commitment, like going to church on Sunday mornings. New issues and crises are always developing, and one's reaction becomes, well, my heart bleeds for those people, and I'm all for the boycott, but after all, there are other important things in life, and there it goes, Saul Alinsky says. Number eight, he said, keep the pressure on, never let up. Use different tactics and actions, and utilize all events of the period for your purpose. Number nine, the threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. Number 10, the major premise for tactics is the development of operations that will maintain a constant pressure upon the opposition. It is this unceasing pressure that results in the reactions from the opposition that are essential for the success of the campaign, whatever it is. It should be remembered not only that the action is in the reaction, but that action is itself the consequence of reaction and the reaction to the reaction at finem And so it goes. In other words, create confusion. The pressure produces the reaction, and constant pressure sustains action, Alinsky says. He said if you push a negative hard and deep enough, it will break through into its counter counterside positive. This is based on the principle that every positive has a negative. Number 12, he says, the price of a successful attack is a constructive alternative. You cannot risk being trapped by the enemy in his sudden agreement with your demand and saying, you're right, we don't know what to do about this issue. Now you tell us. He said that is ultimate victory. Number 13, he says, pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, polarize it. The opposition must be singled out as the target and frozen in a complex uh interrelated, urban society. It becomes increasingly difficult to single out who is to blame for any particular evil. There is a constant passing of the buck. Obviously, there is no point to tactics unless one has a target upon which to center the attacks. If an organization permits responsibility to be diffused and distributed in a number of areas, attack becomes impossible. So the next time... The next time you see a political movement or a campaign or somebody running for office using these tactics, just look at their tactics and then compare it to the list that we've just gone through together. And you'll know you're being manipulated. That's the press and, unfortunately, too many politicians. Thank you for your support. We need it. I'll see you right here tomorrow.